You're listening to the Collateral Damage Podcast with Michael Wilson and Maureen Kavanaugh. On our podcast, we will be discussing the collateral damage caused by addiction, which is currently impacting countless individuals, families, and communities nationwide. You can listen to previous and future episodes on your favorite listening platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and many others. You can also help us reach other listeners by leaving a comment, sharing on social media, leaving a review, or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and watch videos of all previous and future episodes of our podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode, but first, here's a quick word from our sponsors. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Collateral Damage Podcast. Uh, today we have a guest, a special guest, as always, uh, Joanne Peterson uh, from Learn to Cope, um, and she has she's been working on this since 2004, since before family services was common. Now it's commonplace. Uh, at least now we're talking about it. But before right, talk, all of that, we talk about how it's not enough now. Right. Yeah. I mean, she started this when there was absolutely nothing. Right. Absolutely. Fifteen years later, we're still talking about the fact there's not enough. And there was nothing but lots of stigma. There was, yeah. and and it all got a lot of it got directed at her, mm-hmm. and the shaming and the and the you know. Who, who wants to be the first person to stand up and say, yes, my family is going through this and mm-hmm. other people are too. And, and just open yourself up to whatever's going to come at you. The, the, before anybody was doing that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, she, she's brave uh, for doing it. I know she was kind of cornered a little bit and she'll tell us her story about how that happened. But, you know, I think uh, uh, what she's been able to turn this into is, is huge. Um, I know, I know a lot of the families that I meet wouldn't have been able to reach out for help, wouldn't have felt strong enough that, you know, it, it doesn't respond to normal parenting, that it requires a little bit of, uh, something extra that maybe you just don't know about. And why would you know about it? You know, right. until you go somewhere and ask. That's me. That was yeah. me <laughs> talking about. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking Same. forward to hearing what, she, hearing what she has to say. Same. Well, here is Joanne Peterson. Uh, so welcome, Joanne. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. I know uh, um, you and I go back uh, quite a way, 10, 10 years at least. When I when I started, yeah. when I was doing, you were already doing what you were doing. So, yeah. um, And uh, Maureen, you, you, uh, uh, do you and Joanne know each other well? Yeah, well, I, yeah I, I, we do now, but I, I started <laughs> my whole, uh, my, uh, the whole first time I actually got any help at all was by coming to a, a Learn to Cope meeting. Mm-hmm. And Magnolia wouldn't exist if it wasn't for, um, for Joanne and for Learn to Cope because I would have never even considered doing anything like this. I was still like hiding in my house when I went to my first Learn to Cope meeting. So I, I don't know what I would do without her or Learn to Cope. It's probably mm-hmm. the best thing that ever happened to me. Well, thanks. You guys are doing great work too. I, re- I remember... I remember the first time I talked to you, Mike, I was at High Point, standing mm-hmm. in the parking lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was talking to you on the cell phone, yeah. and uh, I think back then we were just starting to learn about Narcan, and I think mm-hmm. we had a conversation about Narcan. Well, I think everything was really just started. Even your, I mean, you started this back in 2004, but you know, prior to that, there was not, I mean, family support was not a priority, um, no. and it no. was you know, all those families, like, like Maureen was just saying, that were just kind of hiding, not knowing what yeah. to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't even imagine because it was bad. And in 2014, it was bad. Yeah. I, don't, I can't even imagine how the bravery and the, the um, just, I mean, the, the 
I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. What it would have taken to start something like this in 2004 is really incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, you know, it was all by accident. I, I never thought I was starting anything. I was just, you know, being stigmatized in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if that hadn't, if that article hadn't come out, I never would have come out. Mm-hmm. But I came out, you know, fight back really. And right that's when all these people just came out of the woodwork and um, you know, here we are. I mean, I never wanted to leave my job. I never wanted to do this for work. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even on my radar. I just wanted my life back and my kids to be okay. And you know, the, apparently there was a lot of other people at the same time going through the same thing. Isn't that amazing how you can <clears throat> you, you jump into something or you're put into something? I mean, it's not even, I didn't choose the path I'm in. I kind of wanted to help people, but it was like, I, I wanted to go this way and then was immediately ushered into the path apparently right. I'm supposed to be in, same as you. And it, yeah. it's crazy because, you know, the, the people who should be there probably aren't planning to be there like you. Right. Oh, and, and it's it really kind of uh, interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that was an, a newspaper article that got you into this because uh-huh. it was a newspaper article that sent me to learn to cope when they had yeah. that first article about, you know, <laughs> that my daughter had been arrested. And I was like, yeah. well, screw it. Everybody knows who I am now. So That's I might as well get some help for myself. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, I should probably say, as a kid, it used to happen to me too because my older brother, mm-hmm. uh, who, God rest his soul, passed away, but he, he used to be in the newspaper all the time and mm. I was a little kid at those at that point and I think one of the first really hurtful experiences for me as a kid was when I had been invited to somebody's house for a sleepover party and my brother was always getting in some sort of trouble you know with alcohol and cocaine mm. um, and my mother you know said that I could go and then the girl called me and she said you know I I'm really sorry but you can't you can't come over and I was like how come and she said my mom said I can't hang around with you so as a little kid I a sibling I grew up with that stigma so I don't even know if that hadn't happened you know years later when my son was in the newspaper um I don't even know if I would have come out yeah I think it's just that I'm not going back to this again I'm not going to live like this again and um you know, I picked up the phone and called Jorge Hiroga from Channel 5. And I said, we have a real problem Yeah. here. And, you know, he ended up going, visiting my son while he was incarcerated and then talking to me. And, you know, the, the newspaper articles are really what did it. But mm-hmm. I called Jorge because I was so used to watching him on TV. And I was just, I had had it. I had walked into a local store and a woman I used to sit on the football fields with sort of turned around and walked away from me, someone that I used to always talk to. So, you know, I, I was angry, I guess. And I'm, when I read your book, Maureen, I was like, wow, I never realized that either. We sort of yeah. had that same experience. But, you know, being stigmatized can really bring the lion out in your belly. That's what happened. I, I thought, you know, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to allow this to happen to my kids, what happened to me. Yeah. You know, so. It makes me, it makes me think about, when I, when I kept ending up in the newspaper, what was, what my family was going through. Cause I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever asked them. I don't know if they've ever told me if they had those, you know, those, those moments where they were stigmatized or where other people uh, maybe didn't spend time with them or didn't talk to them because of my stuff being in the paper or on the front page or, or uh, um, stuff like that. Hmm. Yeah. I was worried about my younger kids, you know, what it would do to them and what it was doing to them. Mm. Um, 
you know, it turned out that after that, I just heard from so many people. And, and I said, well, you should just start meeting. Mm-hmm. So we started meeting in a, a, a room in Randolph. And then, you know, it just, we had to keep moving to different rooms that were mm-hmm. bigger and bigger because we couldn't fit everybody in these rooms. And, and people wow. started coming from, you know, the North Shore all the way down to the South Shore. And, um, you know, then eventually three years later, I ended up starting Salem. So, Really. Which I'm glad you did because all the families up here are super grateful. <laughs> I love those meetings up there. I, I wish I could get there more often. Yeah, Salem's a big one. I, I yeah. think uh, I spoke there last year. It was, a, it was a large group. I will never forget walking into that meeting in the, fir- the first time because in my head, I thought there were going to be, you know, six people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and it was, I was horrified that there was going to be six people and who knew me and all that. And I walked into the room like that matters now. I mean, this is all old thinking, you know, and I walked into that room and there must've been 70 people in that room. There was a speaker that night. And, um, I, I knew like five people in the room and instead of ma- making me feel like, Oh my God, I can't believe that I realized that there were a lot of people going through that. And I'm looking around the room at all people that are just home from work and rushing home to the meeting and stuff like that. And it finally made me realize that um, there were lot, I knew there were lots of people going through it, but I really didn't know it until I sat in that meeting. Yeah. And that's still, it's still not unusual to see that many people there and some of our other meetings too. Yeah. Um, Charlie Baker comes by. He just he mm. came in March again. I think I think I saw a picture. Uh, yeah. It was like a huge selfie with like fifty people in it. <laughs> yeah. He um, he likes going to the London Coat. You know he come, he he's come twice, and um, you know he just likes to sit down and, and not really say much. Just you know hear from people that's so good for him to be able to hear that too and you know real experience lived experience that's awesome we don't make any media stuff until afterwards we'll let people know he came but you know we want it to just be an authentic meeting and Mm -hmm. that's what it is people forget that he's the governor and he just you know he's just very gracious to everybody and just likes to hear what people are going through I mean, that's huge just to just to have his finger on the pulse and be in the room and hear what people are really concerned about around this topic is that's huge. First governor, after we went through three governors with this and um, Deval Patrick, right before he left office, he did sit down with some learned to cope parents in his office and declared mm-hmm. an emergency. But he had Mitt Romney before that. And wasn't wasn't uh, um, Deval, wasn't that during the uh, Senator Tolman's heroin and Oxycontin Commission? Yeah, yeah. Was, Senator Tolman was touring around the state, and mm-hmm. Peter Katujian and uh, Michael Botticelli. He was yep. still with BSAF back then. Yeah. And um, you know, they they were really hammering it. Um, I remember testifying there. You were you were there. There was a ton yeah. of kids there, and I mean, it was yeah. a it was a big deal. And the insurance companies were there justifying why they only paid for a little bit of treatment, and yeah. everybody was there complaining because it wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's sad because they were really ringing the alarms back then. And, um, you know, it, not really a lot was done on mm-hmm. the opioid crisis under um, Deval Patrick. Um, Mitt Romney, I will say, um, he and Kerry Healy, they were pretty instrumental in getting, um, with Section 35, Watts yeah. and Massey opened up. Because back in those days, um, it was just Bridgewater for men mm-hmm. and just Framingham for women. And, so they were pretty good um, instrumental in that piece. But then after that, things just sort of got left on the burner. I, mm-hmm. There was a lot of us out there, you and I, and the OxyContin Commission. 
trying to really get things done, but then Baker came in and boom, 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 he just started really working on it. So I guess we're pretty lucky now. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, there's definitely policy shift that needs to happen. And I think, uh, I mean, if you can sit in a meeting with a bunch of moms and, you know, or, or family members and, you know, just hear what, what type of a struggle people are going through at home. I mean, this is, there's lots of treatment available for people who want help. Yep. And, and I think that's, you know, there's, it's, it may be hard to navigate. It might be sometimes confusing or insurance might be standing in the way sometimes, but there are services for people who want help. Oh, yeah. And it's the services for people who don't. Uh, and it's services for the families who love someone that's not ready. And I think those, those are places that, you know, like we filled in the gaps, like you filled in the gaps with your, with your groups. I mean, I, I'm a dad, I'm, I have a 17 and a 21 year old and, you wow, know, your kids are 17 and 21 now. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> Makes <old>. me feel yeah. <laughs> same. <laughs> yeah. Same. They were just little kids. And, you know, so now it's like, I, I, I have to try to imagine, you know, that if this came up and, and I had to walk into a room full of people, um, you know, that, that I would have to, I would have to let go of some things. I would have to, um, you know, be willing to step into a room and, and, and I did it. I think I spoke in uh, Cambridge yeah. at one of the Learn to Cope meetings uh, uh, at the beginning of this year or the end of last year. <clears throat> and the topic came up around, um, you know, teenagers and substances and stuff. And I found myself, uh, I was a speaker there, but I also found myself just engaging like a parent, um, yeah. you know, and talking a lot about my own fears and my own concerns. And it felt comfortable. And, yeah. you know, I mean, that's, if you're a parent or a family member and you're thinking about, you know, you might walk into that room and see, like Maureen did, you know, a whole bunch of people, sometimes that can be intimidating, but to right. just realize that you're among peers, you're just among people who are just as concerned substances or not about their kids and yeah. um, to have them be able to give advice or at least just listen and say, you're not alone. I yeah. think is yeah. probably the most important piece. Absolutely. And, we and, all feel and access to information too and resources mm -hmm. and yeah. all the other wonderful things that Learn to Cope provides. Mm -hmm. um, definitely. But there's nothing like sitting next to somebody mm. and, and getting a hug. You know, there's the only thing that like, helps me even today is yeah. talking to other people that get it, that have lived experience. That's mm. where I get my help from. And how many meetings are, do you have now across the state and wherever else? 25 now. Um, there's one in Florida, which is um, two women that really wanted to learn to cope. And they ended up coming here on their own, um, you know, they fly here on their own and went and through our training with Kathy Day. And um, you go to Florida and you walk in and it's learn to cope in Florida. The only difference for them is they don't have the same information. You know, here in Massachusetts, we, we get support from DPH so that we can provide, you know, the family packets. So we don't have like as much for them in Florida as we do here. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's still you walk into a room and it's people talking to each other and helping each other. And, out resources they don't have what we have here though as far as um you know even just to get meeting space in florida trying to find somewhere that will let you have a meeting without having to pay for the building and it's just a whole different ball game there um but we have connecticut and maine reaching out to us too so you know oh, that's something pop up there maine needs it maine needs yeah. it maine has a lot of programs and they have a really large homeless population up there and opiates are killing them. So yeah. they, they want somewhere for people to go, you know, mm -hmm. so that they can be there and, and physically talk to each other. It's, it becomes sort of a family, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Well, they have community centers up there. The Portland Community Center, I know, hosts a lot of yeah. services. I mean, they yeah, they do. Be great if they had to learn to cope there too. Yeah. <laughs> well, you just you just brought up a good point. Is is the uh, um, the 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 booklet? Um, you know, the the access to services. You know that that resource booklet that you guys put so much work and effort into. Uh, you know, collaborating with the state of Massachusetts to come up with, yeah. you know, a list of all the options. I mean, wouldn't yeah. wouldn't that be a state's first, you know, yeah. a, a, a attempt or or nationally uh, mm-hmm. to to require each state to have. Uh, an information booklet for families and individuals and loved ones that could just be handed off or access to it. I mean, I, I work with families all over the country and, you know, I had a, a woman that contacted me from Ohio the other day and, and she asked about uh, services in Ohio. And I was like, boy, I, I can ask, but I don't know. <laughs> and I don't know where to get it either. You know, I'd have to ask a colleague who would then ask a colleague and they would kind of rally their results and then we'd have to vet them. Yeah, and exactly. there's just no, there's no statewide or nat- national access to get to get access to that for the, the person or even a professional. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what I like um, about that booklet is having everything from A to Z. So when mm-hmm. after the meeting, someone can go home and just look through it, all the information I wish I had had. And right. did. Um, so that's one thing. I'm really proud of those booklets. We, we put a lot mm-hmm. of work into those. We have to update them a lot, but yeah. that's probably what we'll do for Maine and Connecticut. Um, you know, we're working on all that now. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. But, uh, yeah. So you, um, so you have a, you have a workshop coming up. You have a, 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 what is it? What is it now? So it's called the Knowledge is Power Conference. Oh, and, conference. Okay. Yeah, and we this will be the second one that we had um, are having, I should say. So a team of um, parents from our Worcester group. Um, they're pretty amazing. There's four of them, Nick and Peggy and- They're awesome. Yeah, they are. And Bruce and Tracy. They um, had a couple of fundraisers for Learn to Cope and they raised you know, a pretty significant amount of money. So we all got together afterwards and said, let's put together a conference. Mm-hmm. You know, something sort of like our booklet, A to Z. What, what can we offer for a full day? And last year's was pretty amazing. We had Joe Renesisi, um, he was the former DEA, head of DEA. He, mm. he told him, you know, he was on 60 Minutes telling this story. You can Google it and watch it. But it's pretty amazing when he talks about um, what really happened with Purdue Farmer. And, you know, he was our okay. student. We had Dr. Kolodny and we had um, several workshops last year. And we're doing the same thing this year. We're adding in a little more for parents that have lost um, children or family members, I should say, that have mm-hmm. lost someone they love or friends. Um, we've teamed up with Franklin Cook, who's been doing really great work for us, for us, um, the people that are taking care of the people, and then also for people that have experienced loss. Mm-hmm. Um, so he'll be there. Um, we have Dr. Ruth Pote, who's amazing. I think many of you probably already know who she is. She's our keynote. And then we also have the team of attorneys that work for Attorney General Haley that um, did the litigation for the Purdue Farmer Sackler family lawsuits. They'll be there doing a panel. Um, we have um, Dr. Alex Wally to talk about um, harm reduction, you know, medically assisted treatment. Mm-hmm. We have Judge Bebo talking about the criminal justice system. Um, we also have a young woman in long-term recovery. We want, we want to end the day with her so that 
you know, people leave with, with a hopeful story. And then also Peter Babineau, he does a really great, great um, workshop on mindfulness and, you know, just getting centered. Uh, we all know living through this on either side, whether you're somebody that's experiencing um, SUD or the family member, um, you know, just trying to find ways to, to calm your mind and mm. get through those tough days. So he does a really great um, skit on that. And then <coughs> just get my list so I don't forget. We have John McGann from Gavin Foundation um, talking about continuum of care. And then we also have O.C. Harrison. She she talks about the American Disabilities Act, which mm. there's so much information we don't know about, um, you know, where people have rights that they don't even realize they have. Um, you know, as an example, somebody's in college and they're not really able to get there every day. They're, they're not doing well, they need treatment and, and they leave. Mm -hmm. And now they're stuck with all this tuition when, you know, they, they have rights where they can, you know, come out for a while and maybe go back. and there's actually some schools out there that have really, um, I'll give an example, like a cosmetology school, a young woman just struggling, trying to go and then leaving and going back and leaving. And they were charging her like new tuition each time she came back. So she ended wow. up astronomical. Um, so that, that, sounds, that sounds terrible. Cause I mean, you should be able to take a medical right. leave, right? Like you would from your job. And, and I imagine yeah. the, uh, you know, the, the Americans with disabilities or the family medical leave, you know, th right. those, those are supposed to protect you. I'm surprised that that, right. that would happen. It did. And, you know, there's a lot of other scenarios, but she's really great because she, she can talk about different options that people have for all hmm. different situations with the ADA. Um, and then we have Perry police assisted, um, addiction recovery initiative, Ali Hunter McDade and chief Scott Allen will probably be presenting that. And that's and then, taken, that's really taken off. That's gone from, yeah. you know, the initial, uh, uh Gloucester program. Right. And then it's spread right. out. I've, I've heard of this in other States now. Right. Um, you know, this is all over the place. Yeah. 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 This is really picked up. I'm, and I think it's, it's all about access to care, right? Right. You know, uh, treating people, you know, that are walking in with a condition and giving them access to care and, right. and having the police be that first line of defense, not just the authority to arrest you because you have a, a drug problem, uh, right. but to actually get you help for it. I mean, that's, right. that's huge. I mean, that's have, the Plymouth County outreach has some unbelievable data, um, mm. on, you know, a lot of people that when the police go back to the house after an overdose, um, people that actually go into treatment after that. Mm -hmm. so and they're using recovery coaches for that too, right? So they're, recovery coaches. Yeah, yeah, so they're, they're like having the, uh, the recovery coach and maybe an officer uh, go to the house there. afterward to speak to the individual or the family, right? Plain clothes, so they're not intimidating anybody yeah. and offering help. And they've collected some unbelievable data over the past few years and it's showing that, you know, it, it really can work. Treating them like humans with a condition rather than criminals. Sure. Yeah. I mean, imagine. <laughs> I, th I think back, I mean, I, this is a complete shift in thinking for me because I mean, as somebody who was struggling with substance use disorder, my life was a disaster and it was always just try to try to hide from everybody, try to hide from anyone that, that could get me in trouble for having that problem. But if those people were able to actually help me with the problem, I, I mean, it's I just, it was blows my mind that that's where we are now versus where we were. 15 years ago. Uh, even 30 years ago, you know, mm -hmm. I think about years ago when my brother was in trouble all the time, the police would come just to take him away. Mm -hmm. you know, there was never somebody offering services for him. Yeah. 
Well, that was the best plan they had. We can arrest them. (laughs) Take them to jail. I mean, it's as close as we can get to treatment because there was no, nothing organized. There was no, nothing behind it. Right. Wow. And then we also have another thing that um, we all go through and we all have um, is PTSD. So Mm. we have somebody, Deborah, and her last name is Roussard. Um, I know her from the National Child Traumatic Stress Network. And, um, you know, what this does to the siblings in the family, um, you know, the family as a whole and ourselves, you know, and mm-hmm. you get that phone call and things aren't, you know, things aren't going well and just picking up your phone and seeing their name, you're just, you know, the anxiety and the, and the PTSD comes back. So she, she'll talk about that. So we have a pretty packed day. Um, it was, it was impossible to decide which one to go to because everything looks so good. No, yeah, it really was. I know. I wish we could have them all at different times, but we'd be there for two days. (laughs) Well, I mean, sometimes sometimes you have to think about it. Like the the people who are coming probably need to hear all of it. Yeah, Um, you know, and it's it's every so far everything that you brought up is is amazing and necessary. And you know, for all the the moms and dads and siblings and family members out there that are so just lost and confused. You know, I had a call from a mom today, and and I guess I'm used to. I'm used to people calling me, um, you know, because our services are kind of like the the end of the line. People get to us at the end, you know, it's like we don't know what else to do, which means that they've tried so many other things that by the time they call me, they kind of know the language. Uh, You know, they know what they're asking for. And I got a call from a mom today that sounds like she's never talked to anybody about anything before. Wow. You know, had one business card, heard me speak at a learn to cope and called and was just like, I don't even know what any of this means. And you know, it's, it takes me back to, you know, the days when it's like, all right, so you need to start somewhere. Maybe I'm not your first start. Maybe let's get you around some other people. Let's put you in a room with some people um, and let's talk about what to do next. And like a woman like that, a mom like that needs everything that's available at this uh, a conference. Especially you know, the continuum of care because you hear right. about, you hear all the acronyms and all the right. abbreviated things and you have no idea what they're talking about. So mm-hmm. we'll have John McGann there. Yeah, are you going to use your HMO, your PPO, your EPO to get into an IOP, oh a PHP? God. Would you like to? <laughs> I know. Like, what? I, know. I don't know what you mean. It's, it's crazy. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it'll be a really good day. The good news is I think we're filming each session oh. so that we can put something together at a later time, too. Oh, so, that's awesome. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I want to go to the mall, too, and I'm obviously not going to be able to go to the mall, either. <laughs> yeah. so, um, we'll probably have it filmed. Um, so would you make would you make some of that video available like on your website or a YouTube channel or something? Probably on our website. Yeah, that'd you know, be great. We're, we're looking at that now. We're piecing that together. Mm-hmm. Um, we do still have footage from last year, and we still haven't even really put that out. So mm. we've been so busy, but I think we'll probably put one big thing together um, at some point. Hopefully. That's great. Yeah, and then people can just watch it. Well, I mean that's. I, I, parents are always looking for books to read, um, you know, videos to watch. What can I learn? I mean, just like any concerned parent on any subject, the more information they can absorb in the background by watching videos and reading books and showing up at meetings and groups and asking questions, I think the better off they are, the the more prepared they are to deal with this, you know, chaotic illness. (laughs) Exactly. I know. Wow. I mean, I just, I feel like, um, Sometimes I feel like we're still hitting on everything that we were hitting on years ago. And it just, although the last, I would say 10 years, I'd have like a handful of grandparents that were mm. raising grandchildren. Now we have so many that they almost could have their own 
meetings or, you know, I'd hear about a family where now, you know, their younger child is now experiencing, I'd be shocked. Now I hear that all the time, mm -hmm. two and three kids, or, you know, we'd hear about one of our families losing their second child and it was shocking. Now we hear it all the time. And it's really sad that, you know, you get used to hearing these things. So, um, you know, it just shows the magnitude of this. Mm -hmm. uh, I just wish we could see it slow down. I wish we could see this stop. But that's the one thing we're, we're not really seeing. It that took a long way. time to get to where it is today. Yeah. And, you know, people, you know, people <clears throat> taking it upon themselves to, to make it their mission to stop it. And there's a lot of advocates. There's a lot of people making yeah. a lot of noise now. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a public discussion. Uh, it's yeah. a, it's a, um, it's a discussion where people are exploring all different types of ideas on it, you know, how to solve it, how to end it, how to treat it. Um, I've heard people compare, you know, the efforts in Portugal and Spain, uh, you know, and, and their approach toward it, which on a smaller scale seem to be very effective, you know, on a national scale in the United States, it's going to take a lot of heavy lifting uh, and a lot of brave politicians to, uh, to change it from being uh, uh, focused as a crime and treat it like a public health crisis. Right. You know, divert all the funds from the war on drugs and, you know, maybe uh, address the, the war on why people do drugs in the first place. Yeah. And that's that, you know, but again, it's I think we're starting that. And those are the changes we're going to see. Um, My biggest thing is the pharmaceutical companies. I'm so tired of them. I mean, there, there needs to be changes on that, too. I mean, mm. Purdue Pharma got away with this for so many years. We're just finally seeing, you know, their feet being held to the fire for what they've done for the um, drug dealing yeah, <laughs> and the crimes you yeah. know they, they're allowed to make billions and billions of dollars you can't turn your tv on without all of these commercials and you know now we have commercials about constipation for your opioid use and it's just you know right big so you know that's that's my biggest fight there so i'm yeah. happy to see a lawsuit i don't know if it'll make a difference but i i would like to see um I'd like to see a trial you know you no amount of money is going to bring anybody's kids back i would like to see a trial and every bit of the truth to come out so that they mm -hmm. can make some changes on the amount of money that they're allowed to make and the way they can work with the fda and, do you um, think we'll see criminal prosecution in any of these uh cases i think you could afterwards i you know i mean i know we're seeing bits of it with the do a couple of the doctors but yeah. not with the pharmaceutical companies themselves right or what happened with insist didn't um mm -hmm. there was a, there was uh yeah that was he, he is he going to jail i forget what happened at the end he is going to jail for how long but um, yeah hopefully that will set an example and and maybe make some changes for the future i don't know that was yeah, a I really don't, they did yeah, I mean, I don't think the money is going to, it doesn't want to make a difference to me. You can't give me five years of my daughter's life back. And, uh, and it certainly doesn't matter for someone who's lost their child or someone who's suffered through this themselves. Um, but I think that a deterrent definitely would be jail time, you know, you, and then they, this may, maybe they can't get five years of their life back. I That's, would feel better um, about that. I'm hoping that make, makes an example out of, um, you know, the, the greed is the problem. You know, they can make so much money that it, it, it takes them and turns them. And um, so now we're finally seeing some feet being held to the fire and we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, Oklahoma settled for all this money and now they just, they were able to just pay their way out of it. So yeah. it looks like our attorney general though, isn't going to settle. So 
hopefully we'll see that happen. And, and if there is money down the road, hopefully it doesn't just, you know, go to programs that are not going to do the right thing. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the question is where is this money going to go? Is it going to be spent correctly? I mean, you seem to be really still involved with this and you've been involved with this since the very beginning. I don't yeah. know if a lot of people realize that, that you've testified in what year was it? Seven at their sentencing. Right. So you've, yeah, you've been, you've been, you know, at the forefront of this all, all the time. And another big thing that we're seeing here in Massachusetts is the um, rebuilding of the Long Island Bridge mm -hmm. and creation, hopefully, of um, lots of new um, long-term beds, which I don't know, but I, 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 it's all great what goes on in treatment and, but what happens after those first, you know, 21 days, that's really where the work begins. Mm -hmm. And, um, there hopefully that's the point of, of rebuilding this bridge. It, from what I understand from the first meeting is to create all these long-term, um, these long-term, um, mm -hmm. beds. So, and I, just, well, reopen them because that's what it was before. Um, and it just, drives me crazy that that um there's people fighting that bridge being rebuilt because there were there's plenty of space there there's the buildings are already there it's just they need a way right. to get to the island and you know that island it, some people say you know it's almost like putting them in the segregation it's a safe place to be rather than in the streets and my brother was there all the time and, and you know I, he was sober when he died there. <laughs> so, I mean, he didn't, he, this is awful, but he ended up smoking. That's how he passed away there. But he was sober and um, they had a lot of services there. And it just really makes me sad that there's so many people fighting that because the island's been there since the 50s. The programs were there for many, many years. And Yes, it would take some money to rebuild the programs and, and do some repair work on the buildings, but the way it was abruptly shut down in four hours and people were just dispensed out into the mm. streets, um, you know, a lot of those people passed away too. And when did when did that take place? When did it get shut down? I believe it was 2015. Do you remember what it was shut down for? The bridge well, was crumbling. The bridge, yeah, sorry. an engineer declared it unsafe. So it wasn't because of the impact it had on the community. It wasn't because the services right. weren't quality. It wasn't because there was anything wrong with the program. It was structural integrity for the bridge. Right. An engineer declared it unsafe. And so, so somehow now we're having a conversation about whether or not the program should be there, even right. though that was never the conversation. Right. Oh. Exactly. And that's just wanted to be clear about that. That's not confusing. First, <laughs> we've never heard anyone complain about that bridge ever before. And mm. it's been there for years. In fact, when I drove over it to bring my brother there, you could only use one lane. Mm. And that was 30 years ago. Right. So it's, it's always, you know, it needed some work, but I think they could have repaired it rather than just, you know, closing it and blowing it up. And that's what happened. So the, the, the I think you call them pylons are still there. And there were engineers at the meeting that I was really impressed with their presentation. And they explained exactly what needed to be done to those. And then they explained exactly how they would um, rebuild the bridge and what it would cost. But the other side is saying that it should be ferries. Um, so the argument about the ferries is one, they can shut down very easily due to weather. And two, um, even though there's a fire station on that island, the, the um, Boston fire captain said, get, you know, 
they still would need a bridge to get more apparatus out onto that bridge in a, a timely mm. manner. They can't just rely on a ferry. When you no. talk about Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard, they have fire stations and fire mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's the biggest argument, whether it should be a bridge or a ferry. Mm. Um, but then you, you heard a lot of stigma too. And a lot oh, that's of, what I heard. Uh, you were there at that first meeting, Marty. Yeah. That you was were awesome. awesome. You were awesome. But yeah, it was very sad. It really was. It was wow. sad to see something that would, I mean, more than likely be serving m many of the people in that community because it happens to ever, ever, anybody in any communi community right. fighting something like that. I guess maybe um, they hadn't been through it yet. Right. I feel like if the conversation was about how to make it work, we'd find yeah. a way to make it work. Right. Yeah, I mean, the people were saying things like, you know, talking about God and, and, you know, that they took good care of their children and they went to church every day and had nothing to do with that. We need a bridge so that people can get the services they need. Oh, so I'm oh. saying if the topic isn't about whether or not the program should be there, then the question should just be, how are we going to make this awesome thing happen again? Right. <laughs> not should we, but how are we going to do it? How can we collectively as a community overcome this issue and find a way to get people across there to the program to get services? Right. And hey, maybe if there is money at some point from a lawsuit from Purdue, maybe some of that money can go towards rebuilding those programs. Yeah. yeah. I hope so. I hope it goes to the right places and it's not, you know, just, you know, goes into space. So, Joanne, we talked a lot about a lot of things, but if there was one thing you can do, because I'm sure if there was, <laughs> I'm sure there's lots that you'd like to see different, but if there was one thing that you could see change that you think would help with the impact of the of the collateral damage of, of addiction what would it be well I, I always go back to I think stigma um, and I know we're doing a lot of work around that but stigma really hurts and I feel like that's what prevents people from getting access to services it's what prevents families from reaching out Still today, I mean, we know there's a lot that do, but there's so many more that still don't. Mm -hmm. And education. So I guess that's more than one thing, but it's all within the same. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like um, it should be in science class in grade school. And mm. not the don't do drugs and don't do this drug, don't do that drug, but um, let's teach them about about their health and their brain and you know what what substances that that don't belong in their body can do to their and it can injure them. Mm. I really feel like the kids today are and even 15, 20 years ago, we're not giving them the credit they deserve and 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 teaching them that at an early age. They can get on the internet at four or five years old and watch YouTube. Mm. Um, so they can get access to anything. So, you know, giving them the proper education on how to keep themselves safe, I think is, would be huge. And I think it should be in science class. Well, and, and generationally, wouldn't that then address the stigma if people are growing up with a better understanding of the, the problem, the illness and what it takes to address it instead of, right. you know, looking at it like a, a moral failing or something like that. They, they right. understand what it is. And as they grow up, are more aware of it and it's less of a stigma. I think that would be great. Right. And mental health. I mean, there's, there's still not enough services for mental health and, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of children are going to school every day 
you know, experiencing trauma the night before their, their brother or sister might have overdosed or mm. their parents. And, yep. and they go to school the next day. And there's not enough um, help out there for the trauma that people are experiencing. And that's why I really wanted to get into PTSD at this event that we're having, because I feel like a lot of us have that and we're not really addressing it. Well, yeah, then you need a safe I, place to explore it and to bring it out. The lack of help in those areas now is going to have such an impact on the future that if people really thought about that and took the time to think about it, I think they would put more effort into, into doing the things you're talking about. We're going to be paying for this for a very long time for not addressing it correctly. Mm -hmm. I know. We, I agree on that. All of us. Even, the, of us. even the people that don't want the bridge. Them too. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. a few people made sure they knew that the other night <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you're right i mean the gen the, the generational uh effect here like the um what is it, the butterfly effect or whatever you know whatever's happening now and how how great of an impact it's going to have in the future we had a uh a guest on uh teresa Harmon from uh speaking oh, I love about, her. you know the yeah. neo neonatal abstinence syndrome which i i didn't even know was a thing until i, I met her on the podcast and you know, in, in talking about that, they were saying that like now they're starting to see, you know, the, the how these kids are growing up, um, how they're, you know, they're learning. And, and there's a generation of kids who are coming through who were, you know, born uh, uh, dependent on substances, were raised by their grandparents or have experienced all this trauma. And they're going to be adults, taxpaying citizens. They're going to be holding jobs. They're going to be running for office. These people are going to be running the next generation of this country. And they're messed up. They're, they, they're the ones that experienced this trauma and maybe didn't get the help that they need because the services right. were lacking. Mm -hmm. right. mm. yeah. So what are we going to do about it? We have a plan. What are we going to do? <laughs> I feel like, I feel like we could come up with a plan. We got, we got some good heads here. Um, there, there is. I, even my own nephew, I lost my niece in July and mm. 14 and he is so wise beyond his years. And, you know, he gives me hope because he really, um, you know, he really understands what happened to his mom and, and he actually will come out and say to you, I'm not angry at her. She, mm. she had a disease. So we were always really open with him. Um, but some people aren't and mm -hmm. they're afraid to talk about why your mom or dad passed away. There's not enough um, grief help for the kids that have mm -hmm. lost their parents or, or their, their parents that have lost their children. There's a lot of grief groups out there, but but we really need to really dig into the actual trauma of it and yep. what the repercussions and the, are. And the trauma of a whole of this generation losing all their friends. I know. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's not normal. Uh, when I was uh, growing up, I, there was a couple of people that passed away from a car accident right. or some kind of accident. And, um, but it wasn't like this. I mean, my, you know, my daughter is lost. She can't even count how many people. We were um, at an event the other day with Dominic Esposito with a spoon, and he has people signing the, the spoon with the person's name that passed away. And I said, oh, maybe you want to put so-and-so's. And, and she was standing there thinking of all the people. I said, you know what? Just go home. Don't think about it. Because yeah. it's like, what do you do with all of that? I'm at it like you. I'm at funerals constantly. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah. it's, I mean, but these young people, it's, mm -hmm like coming like world war one or world war two where we're yeah. looking at the list of people of who's gone now yeah it's know? almost like it, it becomes you know you get if you look at um the symptoms of ptsd 
mm-hmm. you'll relate with every one of the symptoms. Yeah. And, right. and that's what happens. Your body goes into like this, this um, fight or flight mode. Yeah. You know, whether you're going through an active addiction or, you know, you've already lost, like your daughter has already lost so many friends. Who's next? And, you know, like all the parents at, on, at all of these different meetings you know looking around thinking who's going to be next who's going to go next yeah and what 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 parents what it does to us and what parents are equipped to have that conversation with their teenage kid that's not you know that they're not they're not prepared to to have the conversation where the kid comes home and says you know we lost i lost two friends to drug overdoses last night you know there you have to learn about how to have those conversations and you know you can learn about those things through you know going to meetings and groups, uh, you know, learn to cope or online support groups or reading books or watching videos or going to workshops. Like that's the point, you know, if, if you're out there and you're, you're wondering whether your kid is going to go through that traumatic experience because, you know, whether they're using or not, they're in school, <laughs> they have friends and maybe they're not the ones that are going through it, but they know someone that is, or they're watching, like you just said, like it's a, it's a war. They're watching people drop and they don't know how to deal with it or respond yeah. to it. And, as a parent, I just think it's a responsible thing to do now to mm-hmm. understand this thing that's taking so many lives every year and to be prepared to have conversations with your kids or your family members about the trauma they're experiencing that they might not talk about. It's just, right. you know, it's there. <laughs> How do you go to a school, you know, in the day right now, it's like, you know, I asked my son the other day, I was like, are you worried about school shootings? I don't know how to have that conversation, but I tried, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, like I'm watching it on the news. I know he sees it on the news. He doesn't bring it up, but I still have to ask the question. You know, I also have to ask the question, like, do you know anyone that's died of an overdose at school? You know, did you know them? Have you heard of it? And, and you know, I have to have these conversations because he's probably not going to come out and tell me. Right. You know, yeah. and as a parent, it's like, you got to be educated on that. You got to know that even if your kid's not going through it, they're experiencing it. Yeah. And, you know, they always say the first bad decision is usually a cigarette now vaping. So if they're mm-hmm. going to make that decision, you have to think right. about what other decisions might they make. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's so prevalent. Even, you know, and there's really, it's very hard to, to stop from happening. I know that a lot of the teachers are experiencing that in their own classrooms. And I'm, a, you know, started working at the Beverly, at the recovery high school here. And I mean, that's a good example of, of kids that are, you know, in their own recovery, trying to get over the deaths of this one and that one. And yeah. just, it's horrific. It so really hard there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank God for you and all the services that you well, provide, yeah, Joanne. I mean, we're all in this together. We're all out there doing what we can. You know? well, I'm grateful to you because I got to say that a lot of the families that I get to meet, you know, they, they were able to gain a foundation of knowledge. You know, they were able to identify that they need to change and take action and they yeah. and they learned it at these groups and they've learned it through other family all the time too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad i can help i steal all his stuff he's got you know, <laughs> if you haven't read his book yet you have to get his book because it's there and makes it easier to steal <laughs> yeah. no, i need to read that i need to read that and i loved your book maureen thank you fun. thank you well, and there's, pl- there's plenty of good information out here for our listeners yeah. you know what i mean whether it's like i said these books these these uh, um uh, the the workshops these these everything there's so many good things out there and they're just chock full of loving caring compassionate family members going through the same thing just waiting to be yeah. there for you yeah it's a huge bright side because you know back years ago you know when we first met you didn't see that now there's mm-hmm. an abundance of, of help so that's a bright bright note that's a big change right there yeah. 
Address yeah. the 80% of the population that loves the 20% that's struggling. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much for doing for doing well, this. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being on. We'll make sure all the information is available for our all listeners right. who want to get connected. Um, and thank you very much for joining us. Okay. Thanks, guys. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Well, that was, uh, that was really cool. I like Joanne. I've known her for what feels like forever now. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I, I always tell people, I am. if there's ever a Joanne Peterson fan club, I want to be the president because mm -hmm. I just am such a... Uh, just I'm just in awe of all that she's created mm -hmm. and done and um, and how much help personally she's given me you know so mm -hmm. I just I can't say enough good things about her well I like I mean when she was saying you know how she got into this I mean I'm super grateful that that she followed the path you know so many yeah. so many people are, are they're recruited for this uh, because they're the right person for it and uh, yeah. you know, they don't necessarily know they should be doing it until they get into it and yeah you know, I think that being so I'm, I'm not a parent of I am the individual struggling you know yeah. so I, I I understand both sides but I've never been on that other side so you know I think for me for all that I can do I know there's things that I can't do which is actually relate um, yeah it's 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 uh, you can, I don't think anybody unless they've been through this as a parent you can't understand you know what's that expression that somebody said to me when I was uh pregnant it's like having your heart your heart walking around uh, outside of your body all the time and it's true and then when this these things happen and it's so dangerous and scary and you know that your child could you, you could lose them at any moment mm -hmm. it's, it's like every day is a new fresh hell and there's <laughs> there's no there's That's like terrible. no it really is the worst possible thing in the whole world i think i i just can't imagine anything because i don't know about you but i'd surely prefer something happened to me than to my child i take absolutely it rather than it you know than it happened to my child but knowing this these horrible things are happening to your child and you know like living through that every day you wake up it's like groundhog's day it's like a nightmare well and, and knowing there's only so much you can do about it too i mean that's all, yeah very you know there's is this very limited amount of things that you can do the one thing you can do is to get support and help for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that connection and education that Learn to Cope provides is invaluable. And certainly it's like it was the beginning of everything for me. And I always recommend it to everybody because where Magnolia has the, the 24 hour support, it's like a, I always modeled it kind of after Learn to Cope. This is what mm -hmm. I want it to look like. It's not the same as sitting next to somebody like I did mm -hmm. and have somebody put their arm around you and say, you okay today. Mm -hmm it's not the same thing. It's, it's close, but it's not the same thing. So well, it's just as valuable, but it does, it, it is a different element. I mean, it's an added, hopefully everybody, you know, has some kind of in-person group because it's so important. Well, I mean, the same could that. be said for our recovery groups for, for, you know, if I go to a, if I did a, a, an AA meeting online, you know, and was, was reaching out to people and was asking questions and getting feedback via comments and text messages and, you know, memes and gifts and photos, then yeah, I mean, I'd be getting a level of support, but right. walking into a room, like you said earlier about walking into that first learn to cope and seeing a few people that you knew, you know, settling down, sitting and listening, feeling uncomfortable, going through it and walking out feeling, you know, rejuvenated almost sometimes and, and yeah. feeling hopeful that, that you can't get that online. <laughs> <Hold> <laughs> yeah. I got a funny 
a story to tell about Joanne and I. Um, so we have all these similarities, right? You heard, and I didn't even know mm-hmm. that that's what got her started was a newspaper article. So right. that's what got me involved in this too. And, uh, and being mad about the newspaper article and having been stigmatized by as a child with all the stuff that went on in my own personal life. And uh, that same feeling of, oh, I'm not going back here. You're not going to put, I'm not going to sit quietly anymore. Mm-hmm. But um, we have both have sons who went to the same college and it's a huge UMass and um, no reason why they should ever know each other. And my son came to me one day and he's talking about this kid. Well, he's talking about this, this same guy and they're in a fraternity together and he really likes this guy and he has so much in common with him. And he said, Hey mom, I think I, you might, you might know his mom. And I said, that's weird. How would I know his mom? Well, she was in the newspaper and she kind of does the same thing you do. I said, what's her name? (laughs) Joanne Peterson. I said, you've got to be kidding me. That's who you're talking about? So it turned out that my son became very good friends with her son. And and, and like a UMass Amherst, where there's how many thousands of people that go to that school? What are the odds? I know. I thought so too. I thought we have a lot of uh, paths crossing. That is funny. That is funny. I mean, it's, it, there's, I, I have to say that I feel like we're all in this because we're supposed to be in it. You know, I mean, I, I I didn't intend on this. I mean, I wanted to open a sober house, but I also wanted to make a bunch of money some, at some point in my life. And that's not going to happen, you know, but I am going to, I am going to stay involved and help people. And yeah. you know, I think that's, I, you, you find that groove and you find where you're supposed to be and, you know, where you are, where Joanne is, where I am. I, I mean, again, if you would ask me 15 years ago where I want to be, this was not it. No, that doesn't mean it's not where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> I think it all comes, the three of us, from a similar feeling of not wanting to anybody to experience this in the way we did and alone and, you know, without the information right. and without the help. So, I mean, that's why I do it. Yeah, my focus is the other 80%. The 80% of the population that loves the 20% struggling. And that's where my focus has been and that's where it stays. Not that I can't help the 20%, but, you know, I feel like the 80% has been left behind for a long time. You know, that, that larger group of people who love people struggling, don't know what to say, don't know what to do, right. you know, completely changing dynamics of homes, um, you know, shifting generations and, and creating the next generation of confused kids that don't know how to deal with it or talk about it. And I mean, that's where I want to spend my time. That's where I like to be. So. Yeah, I agree with you. Oh, boy. This is, I mean, when we talk about collateral damage, when we bring up our podcast, I'm always trying to figure out, like, what, what is that? I mean, it's everything. It, it touches everything. It, whenever we, whenever we have a guest on, and I realize how how hard it's imp- impacting our country, our kids, our jobs, our taxes, our government, um, our schools. It's everything. Yeah. I don't think we're ever going to run out of people to have come on collateral damage podcast. I don't think so. Either, unfortunately, <laughs> about it. Yeah. For me, I mean, when that when I think of the collateral damage of addiction, I do first think of families and, mm-hmm. and children and parents and mm-hmm. you know and I know it is everything but I think that learn to cope hits the heart of of the collateral damage so agreed, yeah. agreed. well I'm really glad Joanne joined us that was very me nice too. of her me too and uh looking forward to maybe hearing from her down the road and uh hearing what what kind of changes happen in the next five or ten years um what they're able to accomplish because she's driven Let's hope so. So, yeah, yeah she, she's definitely in the middle of everything good that's happening that's for sure all right i would like to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode of collateral damage as always if you'd like to find out all of the different ways that you can listen to and subscribe to our podcast you can visit our website which is www.cdpodcast.com there are many different ways to listen 
download, and subscribe. So we encourage you to choose the one that is most appropriate for you. And as always, we would encourage our listeners to get informed and stay connected. Thank you for joining us.